So we're coming to the end of our series in the study of Abraham and Sarah. It's been, this is the 13th message. So we've gone from Genesis 12, we're in Genesis 25, and we're coming to the end of his life. And so we're going to have an opportunity to, to see God's faithfulness and, and this man's faithfulness to God through these hundred years that he's been following God. And we're going to see today how this story connects actually with the Christmas story. And hopefully just do a little short review at the end that goes like, these are the big rock lessons that God has been teaching us through this particular section of Scripture. So we're talking about the end of his life, his death. And there's a, a point in the Bible where God actually writes down the epitaph over his life in three or four words. And I don't know if you've thought about what three or four words you'd want written on your tombstone. Um, that's an interesting thing to consider. You know, a lot of people, when they start thinking about death, it freaks them out and they just go the humorous route. So I, I've run into uh, some tombstone markers. Here's one. It's outside a cemetery near Uniontown, Pennsylvania. Here lies the body of Jonathan Blake stepped on the gas pedal instead of the brake. Yeah, that, that was the humorous route. Or the one that said, I was hoping for a pyramid um, on, on a headstone. And then the, uh, the, the famous um, funny guy, Rodney Dangerfield, whose epitaph was, is, there goes the neighborhood. But seriously, three or four words to sum up your life. You know, what would you want? What would you want your loved ones to just capture in three or four words? What, what, what is God's estimation of our lives in three or four words? We actually know what God thought about Abraham, and it's a consistent word wherever we read about Abraham after the story, Genesis 12 through 15. So for example, in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 7, we read this. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and you've kept your promise for you are righteous. Faithful before God. I think that's a really good three words to describe Abraham's life. By God's grace, through the twists and turns of the unexpected journey that God called him on. When he was worshiping idols up in Ur of the Chaldeans, modern day Iraq. And he said, come follow me, I'm gonna take you to the land. He, he, he'd known the faithfulness of God. He'd known the faithfulness of God when he did a face plant in Egypt and wasn't faithful in trusting God to protect he and Sarah. God was faithful, God was faithful, God was faithful through it all. And by God's grace, because of his faithfulness, we're going to catch up with Abraham at the end of his life, ending his life, trusting God. He's dying in faith. The Bible says in Revelation 14, blessed are those who die in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, believing in the Lord. Yea, says the Spirit, for their works do follow them. He dies in the Lord, in faith in God, because of God's grace and faithfulness all the way. And what we see here too is, because of God's faithfulness, he's not just dying in faith, but he is expecting God to bless the next generation. His son Isaac, 
his grandsons who are, who are living at the time, 15-year-old twins, Isaac, sons, Jacob, and Esau. So grab your Bible, Genesis 25, first book in the Bible, 25th chapter, and we're going to catch up with God's faithfulness at the end of his life that allows him to end his life trusting God, expecting God's grace, his promise to move forward to the next generation. Verse 1, Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. So Sarah's dead, now he's got Keturah. She bore him all these children, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Letushites, and the Luamites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephra, Hanukh, Abida, and Eldah. All these were the descendants of Keturah. Now just glance down in your Bible at verse 12. This is the account of the family line of Abram's son Ishmael. So what we're catching up with here is at the end of his life, the storyline is going to continue because God's faithful promises are going to go through Abraham's offspring, Isaac, on ultimately to Christ. He's going he's to continue down that family tree of Isaac, but he's helping us understand, well, there are two other branches. There's the Keturah branch with these six sons and the grandsons. And of course, there's the branch through Hagar and Ishmael. That's where he goes, 12 through 18. But then in the middle of it, sandwiched between it, is we read this, verse 5. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite. The field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lehay Roy. So here we have this man ending in faith. And it's not apparent because there's not like this big test. There's not this crisis like, what's he going to do here? It just tells us what he did at the end of his life. It says that he sent the sons of Keturah off to the east and he gave him, he gave all those sons gifts. But it says that he gave everything from his inheritance, verse 5, to Isaac. Why did he do that? Why is that a demonstration of his trust? Because God had promised him at the very beginning, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your descendants are, are going to be so numerous, it's going to be like trying to count stars or count sand or the dust of the earth. And when we catch up with Abram and Sarah at the very beginning of Genesis 12, here's what we know. Abram 75, Sarah 65, and they don't have any kids. And so early on in the story, we remember God going, uh, Abraham going, God, I know you promised me uh, and Sarah to a family, children, but since we don't have the, the ability to do that, what, what do you think about just 
deputizing Eliezer, my trusted servant, and letting him be, so to speak, the surrogate heir. We'll like adopt him in. And he, could, he said, no, 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 it's not Eliezer. And then after a few more years went by, Sarah says, God, well, let me help you out here. And Abraham, why don't you take my servant, Hagar, and she can be the surrogate mom to this future promise descendant. We'll build the family tree through Hagar. God said, I'm going to bless Ishmael, the son that she bore through Abraham. But he's not the promised heir. I'm talking about Isaac, the one who will bring laughter. That's what his name means, laughter. The one who's going to bring laughter and joy into your lives. And so here it is at the end of his life. And you go, oh man, that doesn't seem very fair. It seems like he's, he's just playing favorites. with. No, actually God had played favorites and said, Isaac, this miracle baby that I'm going to give you is going to be the promised heir through him and his descendants, all the families are going to be blessed. And so he blesses the sons of Keturah, right? His sons through Keturah. He blesses Ishmael. That story had already happened in chapter 19. And now it says, verse 5, he leaves everything to the promised heir. He sends them out, Keturah's sons, out of the land because the land was promised to Abraham and his descendant, Isaac, and through Isaac, the descendants to come, the Israelites. So he's, he's living in faith here to the very end. And we know that God has been faithful to the very end. So what did God promise in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3? This is what God promised to Abraham at the beginning of the story. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land. It's the first thing he promised him, land. To the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. Number two, and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God is making good on his promises. We just kind of just think about the, the different aspects, the land. Remember he leaves Ur the Chaldeans, his land and God says, I'm gonna bring you to the land, this promised land. He's been living in the land since he was 75. He's now 175. That's an easy math, right? 100 years, 100 years. Do they fully occupy the land like they're going to under King David? Not yet, but he's been living in this land and God has been making his name great. He's a man of stature. He's a man who's respected. He's a man of great wealth. He's a man who chases down, right? The kings who had whisked off his nephew Lot and the, and the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's been this mighty, he's, he's got a great name. He is beginning to be this father of a great nation and of nations. There's 30 names that we read in the beginning 18 verses of chapter 25. And we're going to catch up with his blessing flowing through him to all the families of the world. And that's how we're going to see Abraham's story connect to the Christmas story. So 30 names. 30 names that have to do with the children by Keturah, by Sarah, and by Hagar. Those names actually show up in a prophetic passage tucked into Isaiah 60. I've never seen it before. I couldn't believe it. So in Isaiah 59, 
The prophet Isaiah says there's a coming redeemer. A redeemer is someone who would pay a price to set people free. And this is the redeeming of God's people from the debt we have of being sinners before a holy God and deserving death and punishment. There's this coming redeemer, this promised one. In Genesis 3, we weren't there in this study, but we remember this first word of promise came to Eve. Eve, one of your descendants, a male descendant, is going to crush the enemy's head. Even this serpent, this, this devil, Satan himself, who has broken our relationship and this perfect world that I placed you in. In chapter 12, he says, I, I'm going to send you a, a descendant, an heir, and it's through this descendant, not descendants, that your descendant is going to bless all the families of the world. And we catch up with this in chapter 60, and we run into at least five names that come right out of chapter 25. People and nations who are receiving the blessing of God's mercy and grace through this coming Redeemer, the Messiah, this promised King. So we read in Isaiah chapter 60, and if you're a fan of the Messiah like Lori and I are, you'll hear the lyrics of one of the great choruses and arias. Verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Speaking of this coming Redeemer, see darkness covers the earth, that is our own wickedness and sin and ignorance, and thick darkness is over the people's, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Verse 5. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian. Ah, that name's in 25.4. And Ephah, 25.4. And all from Sheba, 25.3, will come bearing gold and incense but not just that, what are they doing? Proclaiming the praise of the Lord. They, they've had an encounter with God's blessing and it has everything to do with this coming Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. All, verse seven, all Kedar's flocks, Kedar is mentioned in chapter 25, verse 13, one of the ancestors of Ishmael, will be gathered to you, the rams of Nebaioth, another one of Ishmael's descendants, 25.13, will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar and I will adore my glorious temple. God's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his word. And right here at chapter 25, we're getting the beginnings of this man and his wife Sarah and the descendants that are coming from him, even the nations that would be blessed by this coming ancestor through Isaac's line. And in, the, in, math, in John's, well, actually in Matthew's genealogy, he starts his genealogy with these words. Verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. So the Messiah means the anointed one, the anointed king that was promised to King David. So let me, let me just do some connections here because it gets, it gets confusing. So the first promise went to Eve, one of your male descendants, is going to be this conquering one who brings victory over the one that just ruined creation. And then it says, it's going to be through your line, Noah. 
And then Noah has a great grandson whose name is Abraham and God says, it's gonna be through you, Abraham. And the blessing passes to Isaac, chapter 25, verse 11, God blesses Isaac, chapter 26, two and three, the same blessing made to Abraham is made to Isaac. You're gonna be the father of a great nation through your offspring. All the families are gonna be blessed. It goes from Isaac, it goes from Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. They're the, the, the heads of the 12 tribes. It goes from Jacob to his son Judah. And it says of Judah, Judah, the, the, the promised savior is coming through you and he's gonna be a king. The scepter is not gonna depart from you. And then it goes from Judah, the tribe of Judah, to the house of, of David, this, this one who's born, who, who's, whose family goes back to Bethlehem. That's David's city. That's why the angel says, remember, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who's Christ the Lord. So it goes from David, and David wants to build God a temple. God says, look, you don't have to build me a house. Here's the deal, David. You're a man of war. Your son's gonna build a temple, but I'm gonna build your house. And it's in 2 Samuel 7, 14, where God says to David, look, I'm going to have from your family a king be born who doesn't die, an eternal king who sets up an eternal kingdom, who's gonna bring lasting peace with God and each other and make all things right. And so the line keeps going. He's this coming king from the tribe of Judah, from the house of David. And we find out in Isaiah, he's gonna be a suffering serving king, a servant king. And now Isaiah says in 60, chapter 60, he's this redeemer who's gonna come and he's gonna bring light and life to the nations. And Matthew says, hey, this Jesus that I'm telling you about, he goes back to David. He is that promised anointed king. And by the way, he is the son of Abraham, the promised one. And so Jesus coming is in fulfillment to the word of promise back in chapter 12. I'm gonna bless you and through your offspring, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, Jesus Christ. Through your offspring, all the families will be blessed. So God has been faithful to his word. His word of promise is not yet fulfilled at the end of 25. It's not fulfilled yet, but we just have a whole bunch more of the story. And, and we marvel at God's kindness to chase us down with his mercy and grace. And that's what we've been noting in Abraham's story. But it's been hard. I mean, let's just remember, he's called when he's 75 to trust God, to walk with God, to believe that he'd give him the land, that he'd give him a family, and he doesn't have Isaac until he's 100. But now for 100 years, he's known of God's faithfulness. And that's why by God's grace, he is finishing well. Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Now there's in store for me this crown of righteousness. And he expects, Abraham does, that God's blessing is gonna be true to his word. It's gonna meet that next generation. And so he's not surprised, even though he wasn't alive, that God would bless Isaac and after him, Jacob, 
and his people all the way through the Messiah and, and now to us as well. So there's some lessons that I want us to catch up with. I don't know how many of the 13 messages you caught, but there are some profound messages, uh, lessons that we need to remember as we finish up this study. There's the overarching truth, the journey of faith, of walking with God, of trusting him, is to be sure gonna be unexpected because we never know what a day holds. We never know. But we know that God is faithful through all of our days, always faithful. But here's some lessons. Let me suggest five. The first is this. God's blessing doesn't end with us, but the whole intention of blessing us is that the blessing would move through us. So the deal has never been, uh, I, I just want to bless you so that you live a blessed life. And remember what blessing means. It means God's care and protection. And we all need that. You need that right now. Care and protection that allows you and me to flourish in all of our relationships, in all the dimensions that God has created us, in our relationship with God, with others, emotional, spiritual, physical flourishing. So remember this, that God's intent was not just to bless you so that you go, I am so blessed. No, I am blessed for a reason, that the blessing of God, his grace, would be metered out through me. That's a huge lesson. There's a second lesson. When the journey raises questions about God, about his promises, right, his character, when the journey seems impossible, remember Nothing is too hard for God. That's a quote that God gave to Sarah when she's 89 and she's laughing because God shows up with the angels and says, hey, and Sarah's in the tent listening. Next time, next year, this time, you're going to be holding a baby. And she laughed. And God said, Sarah, Abraham, just remember this. Nothing's too hard. Nothing's too hard. That's really important when life's really hard right now. And you feel like it's definitely too hard for me. It's been too hard for the doctors. It's been too hard for the people I'm turning to for counsel. It's been too hard for too long. It's just easy to think maybe this one is the exception. This one's too hard. Nothing's too hard for God. That's really an important lesson. There's a third one. Let fear drive you to God and his record of faithfulness. The natural thing is that fear takes us away from God. When we're afraid of something, we're fixed on what we're afraid of. It's got our full attention. And so the, 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 the circumstances get big and God gets little. So when we're afraid, we've got to do not the natural thing, we've got to do the, the faith thing is to go back and rehearse God's faithfulness and through that, keep having our eyes and our hearts enlarged to who God is. So fear's got to drive us to God, to the record of his faithfulness. Otherwise, they'll drive us away from God. And the fears will be the things that dictate what our understanding of God is and what is really true. And those fears are just completely being driven by emotion 
And the emotions are real and they're strong, but they are not necessarily what? True. So let the fear drive you to God who is true and go back to the record of his faithfulness, which is fact. Fourth lesson. When the journey brings the unthinkable, remember the Lord will provide. And he uses tests not to tear us down, not to shame us, but to build us up. So that came out of chapter 22. He's now, after 25 years, had this joy of seeing Isaac, holding Isaac, seeing this little guy grow up. We don't know how old he is in chapter 22. And God says, I want you to sacrifice him on an altar and trust me here. And that was an unthinkable thing for him to do but here's what he said Jehovah Jireh the Lord will provide the Lord will provide and as you find yourself in a time in your life where the unthinkable is actually now your reality it's really important that we remember this lesson the Lord will provide and the Bible says he who did not spare his own son Romans 8 will he not also with Christ give us all things the Lord will provide. For whatever it is you need, the Lord will provide. And the last one is from today's lesson. Because God is faithful, we can trust Him to the very end. We can die in faith, expecting God's promises, His promised blessings. They're not going to end. They're not going to die. But they're going to go on to meet another generation. So if you're a follower of Christ, then you're on the journey. If you're not, just listen in. Let me just get it down to a construct. Maybe there's the beginning of the journey where you're just new of being a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're in the middle of the journey. Maybe you're at the end of the journey. I think there's some, some things that we can learn from Abraham's story that might be helpful. At the beginning of the journey, when we look at it for Abraham, we see that the test was uh, in Egypt... When they go down because of famine, they need food, they go down to Egypt and he's afraid. Remember, he's afraid that what? That Pharaoh is going to want Sarah to be part of his harem and he's going to kill Abraham so that he can have her in his harem. So he's afraid for his life. At the beginning of the journey, it is easy to let our spiritual muscle memory take us back to what we were trusting in before we began this adventure of trusting God every day. Because it's just been recent. And so the muscle memory is still strong. And so what does he do? He trusts in himself. Here's a plan. Let's do this, Sarah. You just tell everybody, you and me are brothers and sis. So he pawns his wife off his sister, puts her in harm's way to save his own neck. See, that, that, that's easy to do when we're just new with walking with God. The test comes. God says, I want you to trust me. Take me at my word. That's faith, right? Obey what I'm telling you to obey and trust in what I'm promising to you. It's easy to go, man, I don't know. Maybe God can't protect me. I don't know. I'm having doubts. So I go back to what I'm sure of. But the thing is, we're, we're not just sure of, ah, we've done this a lot, but we're also sure of, Having done this a lot, it hasn't always worked out very well, right? So let's not forget that part. But that's an easy thing at the beginning of the journey. 
And maybe you're there. It's like you're going, well, man, I, I just thought when I signed up with Jesus, this thing was going to be a lot easier. I didn't know the journey meant there's going to be tests. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's going to be tests. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, if you want to follow me, pick up your what? Your cross. That wasn't like your sled. Your cross. He, he, yeah, I mean, this is like, pick up your tickets. We're going to the Bahamas, man. This is going to be awesome. This is, we're not going on vacation. This is hard. The cross is all about suffering, giving our lives, submitting our wills to the greater purposes of God. So maybe that's where you're at, just new with Jesus. And you're finding, yeah, I got that strong muscle, muscle memory thing. I'm going back to trusting myself. But then there's the murky middle, the middle of the story. The middle of the story maybe is to that point where Sarah goes, <laughs> you know, well, Sarah, it's, it's actually even after he, she, she, she offers up Hagar, right? She does. She comes up with that idea. God, let me help you out. The middle of the story is when God shows up with the angels and says, now it's 24 years down the road. This is the middle of the story. And says, next year this time, baby, you're going to name him Isaac. Laughter. There's going to be a lot of joy in this camp, in this family. And what is Sarah's response? She laughs. It's cynicism. It's like, in the middle of the story, it just seems like God's not around. God's not around around and and the hardness of life can harden our hearts from being soft to God to being bitter against God and it manifests in all this we're, we're negative we're mad all the time we're shouting angry things as we're driving down the road and we're pretending like we got it all together we don't have it all together our hearts aren't tender to God we feel like we haven't met God in how long and our prayers feel like they're not getting through. And it's just easy to get bitter. It's easy to get cynical. It's easy to think like, you know what? Maybe God doesn't want to do this. Maybe God doesn't want to do this. And so, you know, we could go back into some self-reliant mode to kind of make our way through this world. And then at the end of the story, I, I think there's this whole thing at the end of our lives where the thing that's most important is not the stuff. It's the relationships. And if we've been walking with God and experiencing his faithfulness, even through our own failures, what we're longing for most and wondering about is, will the, will the blessing of God, will his mercy and grace, will they end here in the family tree? Or is it, is it gonna go on? And it's really easy to worry as we pray for our kids and our grandkids. Or you go, oh, I'm not married, I don't have kids. So the people that are near and dear to your heart, as you get older, those, those are the things that are first and foremost in our minds. We want our friends and our kids and our grandkids to know Christ and to be grounded in Christ and secure in Christ and living for Christ. And we wonder, did I muck it up? Because we all know what we've done at the end of our life. And there's this kind of reflective part to the end of life where we, we know how we've lived. And the enemy just wants to take us back to failure after failure. And every one of those failures has another side to it. 
and it's God's mercy and grace where even when Abraham failed, he walks out of Egypt with more. God's greater mercy. But so I don't know where you're at in the journey. But there's unique tests. And here's what I know is God is faithful where you are to take you through this time, to grow you, to be a godly woman, a stronger woman, a stronger man, a stronger young person who is following this great God who loves you and calls us to do life with him and life forever. So for those of you who aren't on the journey right now, here's what the New Testament says. This is a wild verse that talks about how you can be part of Abraham's family and receive God's blessing. Galatians 3, we'll end with this. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he has a relationship with God not because he was a good dude, not because he had good works, because he placed his faith, all of it, in Christ. So he had a right relationship with God. Understand then, here it is, that those who have faith are children of Abraham. In the New Testament, the religious leaders think the only people who are children of Abraham are the Jews. And Paul's saying that's not true. He has got a spiritual legacy and we become children of Abraham through faith. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel, the good news, in advance to Abraham when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed. Along with Abraham, the man of faith. Oh, I pray that this Christmas you would know you're part of Abraham's family and that you're a recipient of God's grace and that means you are a person of great hope. Let's pray. Father God, we couldn't make up this story and we find ourselves the recipients of your grace. When we weren't looking for you, you chased us down. Lord, there, there are people listening to me now that haven't been looking for you, but you're chasing them down. With all your goodness, with all your mercy, wanting so much to care and protect and cause us to flourish. And you've made that possible through your son, Jesus Christ. And we remember and celebrate, Lord Jesus, that you divested yourself of all the glories of heaven and you became a humble child born in poverty who was born to head up a hill carrying a cross to give us life through your death. And so, Lord, grant us faith, strengthen us, and may all the good things that you've blessed us with in Christ be the things that flow from us that bless others. And so may there be more of your love and your joy and your peace, your kindness, your goodness, your gentleness, your faithfulness, your self-control, more of your mercy flowing through us, more of your wisdom guiding us, more of your hope, instilling hope in others, more of your truth 
making us women and men of character. Until you come or call us home, we pray these things in Christ's name for his glory. Amen.